Well, what's I just started recording. We could just get yeah. into it. Assalamualaikum, yeah. uh, Samer. How are you doing today? Walaikum assalam. I am doing well. Tired, stressed out, but well. So I know you were doing some traveling recently. Where yeah. where were you at? So I uh, had two conferences back to back. I was, spoke at Litmus Live in September in Boston, and then I came back to Pakistan, spent two weeks here, went back to Mexico to attend another conference. Um, and I've been back, I think, two weeks now, and the jet lag is just not letting me go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why were you doing this traveling for in Cabo? Well, uh, work. So the, the Cabo conference is a business conference. I spoke at it last year, but I got so much out of it um, that I went back there this year at a little Um It's a very small conference. It is hyper-focused on connections and conversations and ideas rather than like talks on a stage. You know, very few people get it what they have. Uh, but you do get um, to learn so much from everybody else that you meet there. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's dive into your work, right? Cause that's like the main yep. thing that Muslim professionals kind of care about jobs. What do I do with my life? Yada, yada, yada. Right. <laughs> I'd love to learn yeah. about you a little brief overview of your background. Um, especially, uh, being a Muslim woman, I want you to really emphasize on that as well, but yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit about you, what you do and how you do it. Oh, yeah. So do you want the long version or the short version? Let's do the long version. I got time. I scheduled an hour. So all right. Hopefully you have time. Okay. I, I do. All right. So it all started in 2007 when I graduated, got married, and moved to the UAE within 10 days of these things happening. Right? And so um, I'm in UAE, a newlywed. I don't have any family at this point in the UAE. Um and I am bored out of my mind. And as a fresh graduate, I just really wanted to work. Um, and so I would try to get jobs in Dubai. And almost everybody would ask me, like, do you have a driver's license? And I would say, no, I just moved here. I'll get it. And, you know, the the response was always very lukewarm. And I could not figure out why this was such a sticky point or why everybody was asking me about this in the interviews. And then it's like, January 2008, UAE, right? The recession hasn't hit yet. Everything's hunky-dory and public transport is non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so I finally told my husband and I'm like, listen, this is going on. I, I'm not sure why I keep being asked this. And he's like, oh, you're right. We got to get you to get, we, we have to get you a driving license first. And so I go and register myself for classes and just the duration to start my classes it's a six months wait list right and Ooh. so i go on to a light i put my name down there i'm waiting for these six months and it by the time let's long story short by the time i got my driver's license which was almost a year later because i failed my driving test twice um i had started freelancing and because i was bored out of my mind i got a google search for writing jumps online found a website that was paying me $10 an article. And I thought I figured, uh, I thought I was going to be rich in no time. But what I'd really hit was a content mill that had no editorial uh, 
setups. There was no checks and balances, nothing like that. And it wasn't long before I realized that this was a dead end job. Um, but by the time I got my license, the freelance blog had freaked me. Like I was mm -hmm. making just enough money to think like, okay, there's more money to right? I yeah. don't need a full-time job to work. Um, and so writing surprisingly, or interestingly, not surprisingly, has it was always something that I've been good at. Um, I would fail or just pass in most subjects in Pakistan, but writing, like English was the one thing that I really, really enjoyed. I was a bookworm. Um, I was that nerdy kid who read Lord of the Rings page to page. Uh, probably shouldn't admit it, but also memorize the songs at one point. Uh, that are abundant in that book um but yeah so i was like okay so writing you know i really enjoyed freelancing content writing all of that um i started doing it part-time uh did it for 10 years and in 2018 i got burned out but by that point i built in the enough of a name for myself that i was writing for marriott intercontinental aetna um and i was working uh writing ebooks and long-form blog posts for startups um, mm -hmm. And I was getting published in some very popular blogs at the time. Copy Blogger, I think, is still around. And so every time I would publish a guest post, leads would come in my way, right? Because mm -hmm. you get an author bio at the bottom of those guest posts that says, hey, hi, I'm a writer for hire. Reach out to me or email me, things like that, right? And so people would reach out. And I ended up working for Paul Jarvis, a whole people, um, through that. And I... Did a wow. bunch of articles for him. He gave me a testimonial. Even for Paul Jarvis is notoriously not on any of the social networks. Um, and so he was like, you know what? I can't give you a LinkedIn recommendation because I'm not on LinkedIn. But here's like a testimonial that you can feature on your site. Um, and so I think I still have it on my website somewhere because that's a big enough name that I still want to brag about it. But yeah, so 2018, I'm working with all these big name clients and I'm still working. Right. And it's gotten to a point where I don't want to get out of bed in the morning because that would mean I have to go sit on my desk and do the work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's a business thing. Maybe I'm just not structuring my work in a way that is exciting me. Maybe something is off. And my answer to that was like, I just kept raising my rates and people kept saying yes until I was being paid a thousand dollars per blog post, which in 2016 to 2017 was like unheard of. Um, and around that time, I came across a, a couple of things happened. A, we saw the writing on the wall where we, my husband and I realized that we would be moving back to Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And I came across a business course that I thought would help me uh, figure out the business side of my uh, content writing, right? And maybe I'll figure out what's wrong with my business and why I'm not enjoying it anymore. And so yeah. with that in mind, with knowing that I have to take my business full time, considering the financial situation we were in at the time, I signed up for this course and it was by Joanna Weave of Copy Hackers. And it was a six month course and like two months and, and with a module released every single month, right? And I think it was the second module or the, and the second month where I realized it wasn't that I was burned out. It was that I was done with writing content. Like I always mm. say content writers have a shelf life. Mine was 10 years. Um, and I was just done. I didn't want to. And, and since then, when I decided that I will not be doing content again, I haven't written another blog post. I don't think. Okay. And 
Drip had to pay me a lot of money to write six articles for their uh, e-commerce playbook. And mm-hmm. even then it was just... What, what is Drip? What is Drip is an email marketing software. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just so for much the like Playbill, much like MailChimp. Yeah, much like... What else is there? Which one? Which other software? Um, the one that there's a ton. That's what is the name that people would There we go. Yep. There we go. Yeah. So, um, and I'm like at this point, I'm thinking, okay, if writing is the only thing I'm good at, then it's not content. Then the only thing left is pop. Right. And so one of the smartest things I did, I feel in my business was always treating my own business as my first client. So whenever I needed to come up with samples, I create those samples for my business. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the same when I was doing blog posts. It was the same when I was doing ebooks. I had an ebook for uh, my newsletter at the time. And then wh- when I needed blog posts, I would just uh, send them like links to the blog posts that I did, my blog. And, and they were mm-hmm. good enough uh, to let me work. Right. And so I did the same thing sales pages, website copy, landing pages. I tried them and pretty much tried my thing through. Uh, and instantly knew that it's not my thing. And so I met an, an email marketer in that course. Um, and I was so impressed by the passion she felt for her work. And I remember thinking, this is how I want to feel about my work. Um, and so when she put out a call for subcontractors, I raised my hand. I asked her to take a chance on me that I never missed a deadline. And I think I said, I did don't make the same mistake twice. And would you please hire me? Um, she said, yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. I got interested in email marketing and by the and she gave me two weeks to do a re-engagement sequence. And by the time I turned that in, I remember thinking I found the thing I want to do for the rest of my life. Because for the mm. first time, like that first week, I was just um, what's the word here? Researching. Six to eight yeah. hours researching and I was the happiest I'd been in a while. I, I'm not a morning person and I was waking up early in the morning um, to get started with work, right? And so I, by the time I turned it in, I knew that I'd found something that I wanted to do for a long, long time. So I guess from from what, what I've heard, you didn't really know what you wanted to do right off the gate. It took trial and error oh, yeah. and being kind of successful at something else and then evolving that would that be the correct yeah. kind of assumption of the journey yeah, yeah. So, okay. so i knew what i was good at and it was writing mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and if not one form of writing then another because like if that hadn't worked out i honestly don't know what i would have been doing because i like in my entire life that copywriting oh and, and now strategy and email is the only thing that i've been good at yeah, so I, I kind of want to jump into this one aspect here is like everyone's always having an issue with like, how do I even start, you know, making money or charging people for something that I am good at, right? Like some people are really good at uh, making music or some people are really good at editing videos. It's like, how did you essentially start charging people for writing? What tools did you use? Were there certain websites that you started off with? How did that kind of play out for you? Yeah. So there are always job boards for these kind of things, right? Early on in mm-hmm. my career, there were certain job boards for blogging jobs, right? I think there were mm-hmm. pro bloggers, job board of a couple of others. And so I would just go to those and apply like crazy. And cold emailing or applying to jobs is a numbers game. 
right? So, mm. um, and I have never been on Cyber and Upwork, so I don't know how that works. Uh, the bidding process just really demoralized me. So, like, I created a profile, I think, but I'd never bid um, because that entire process was like, I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, well, what really worked for me was guest posting. Like, mm -hmm. I did the research and I found out, hey, I decided who my uh, ideal clients were. And my ideal clients were people who had the money. And what I realized early on was individuals very rarely would have the money to pay me, but small businesses would. And small businesses would care about content marketing, which was what I wanted to do. And so I, again, turned to Google um, and then found blogs that were read by small business marketers and small business owners. And I guest posted on those blogs. And because I knew that they were being read, my author bio was very uh, call to action oriented, where there were two lines of like what I, who I am, what I write about and how they can contact me. And mm. so people would reach out uh, every single time a guest post of mine was published, people would reach out uh, uh, about. So work. how long did it take writing these guest blogs? And I'm assuming you did it at a lower cost to, to start with, right? Or like for free almost. They okay, so they're free. Okay. Yeah, are almost always free. So you I mean, made, nowadays, made an internship for yourself, basically. Yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> uh, what I also did, like, I had a website. Um, mm -hmm. I had a formal email address. Like, there was no mm -hmm. email address for me. It was always contact at somewherewise.com. Um, I had a bare bones website. Yeah, and I every time that I would publish a guest post and somebody mm -hmm. would say something nice about my writing, I would ask them, can I turn this into a testimonial or would you be willing to write me a testimonial? And people are like always nice enough to say, yeah. I mean, that's the least that they can do. That, yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm writing it for free. <laughs> yeah. So I would just take these strategic steps like, hey, somebody said something nice. Let's ask them for a testimonial. Uh, if they're not paying me, you bet your ass that I will get a author bio and a prominently placed author bio. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and, and, and it's unlucky. You, I did not decide one day that I wanted to be a freelancer or a content writer. And then the next day I was writing for Marriott. Um, does not work like that. It, it took me 10 years to get to a point where I was like charged, raising my rates to deal with my overwhelming burnout and people weren't safe now. Yeah. So essentially you, you created basically a fake internship for yourself. But you didn't let yeah. people know that because you had a brand that you've already yeah. set up prior, which is such a smart tactic, right? Because now anyone who sees your testimonials is thinking that these free content pieces were actually paid for and that you're, yeah. they purchased Nobody them from a legitimate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something that like, I, I you know, I, I wish more people tried out. That's actually how I started my business too. Same exact thing. I did some free work. But I set up a website, a landing page, a brand, all that prior to everything, yeah. um, which helped with, uh, but you don't overthink the brand either. Cause like, if you overthink it, then you're never yes. going to do the work either. And then I leveraged that for the free, like, you know, with the free content, free testimonial. And I guess, how long did it take for you to do that though? Like, did, was it like, um, cause you did mention a numbers game. Was it? five blog posts was it 10 just to give the people kind of an understanding of like does it happen on the first one well, it doesn't happen on the first one you have to a don't just 
Pigeon yourself by writing guest posts for a single for one website, right? Make sure that you are getting published in three to four different places and at least writing two guest posts for for each of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you do a good job, you're invited. Right? Mm. So places like Copy Blogger, it was hard to get your first chance, but if you got your first chance and did a good job, the editors would invite you to pitch them more ideas. And so when that happened, I would always take them up. Yeah. And so when when we don't have, uh, when we're not making enough money, I always say when we're short on money, we're rich on time. And so take this time to set up the basics, basic or foundations of your business, right? Get a profession, get a website, get an email address connected to that website. And I started in 2008. So G Suite was free back then. Um, and I only started paying for G Suite last year when even legacy accounts were like forced to start paying. But it's it's not that, right? So you can make it uh, with, less, with less than I think $100, you could set up a business company, come across as more professional than you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So when it comes to being, I guess this is, let's get into the deeper stuff. When it, uh, when it comes to being a Muslim, right? You, you wear a hijab, you're yeah. dealing with a lot of people uh, that have these preconceived notions and, and stuff like that, especially because I've seen Muslim women repeatedly get underpaid in any sort of space, right? How yeah. have you tackled that and how have you dealt with or have you dealt with rather any sort of bias or um, anything like that during your, I guess, 10 plus years of doing this? Oh, great. So I would say my powers of ignoring bullshit are supreme. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 well, there's, um, I never turned down a discovery call, right? You'd think at this point, I would have like a systemized, uh, or a system in place that would like, hey, good fit, bad fit. This person gets to book a call. This person doesn't. I never do it because I need to get on a video call with them to figure out whether we'll gel. And I know within 10 or 15 minutes, right? It's that raised eyebrow. is that sudden pause when they see me. Um, and so I've dealt with all of that. And uh, for the longest time, I was afraid of getting on video calls for all the reasons that you just listed. And I think it wasn't until... And with content work, because it's not um, a lot of money, that much money, at least at that point, I was getting by with doing business through email. I would not show up on uh, on video calls. I would not do client calls. There was a lot of hot trash around like how English is not my first language, how I'm not in the U.S., how I'm, I'm Pakistani, um, and I'm a hijabi and I'm brown and all of that. And so I just wouldn't get on video calls. But that course that I signed up for, one of the things they said that really struck, stuck to me was, if you want to earn more, at some point you have to get on a video call. Because if you people don't trust people, they don't meet or see uh, beyond a certain amount, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to get those $5,000, $10,000 projects, they'd have to see you. You have to get on a call. You have to be able to do a uh, conducted with discovery call, things like that. And so I was scared. It took me until 2018 to get on my first discovery call, on my first video call, do my first webinar. And um, I bombed so many of them. I did a horrible job. I would be shaking. I would have a script that I would follow. And it would be so obvious that I was not comfortable. 
And that comes across. But my thing with fear is always mm-hmm. that if I can face it once and get on the other side, I can do it again. And so with discovery calls and webinars and workshops, that's what I did. Like, hey, say yes first, freak out later. Uh, but now that you've committed, you have to do it, right? Yeah. And that's facing your fear. So I did that first webinar. I did those discovery calls and I survived them. And I realized, okay, it's maybe not going to get less scary, but if I can face it once, I can face it again. Do you feel like a lot so of... that's for... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry uh, to cut you off, but do you feel like a lot of pe- people holding themselves back is more them and it's not really a, a, a race thing? Right. Like, do people just self-impose it that's, on themselves? That's been my experience. Right. So mm-hmm. you are going to face bias. You are going to face prejudice. There's just no going around it. Right. But you're not going to face as much as you think. And my hijab helped more than it hindered. Because mm. people would see me and people who would have had a problem with me would just not come to me. Right. Perfect. And so plastering my photos all over my website and putting up my photos on social media and doing discovery calls and webinars and workshops just filtered out anybody who was like filtered out, I think, 80 to 85% of the bias that I would have faced otherwise. Uh, that's smart. So it's basically, you know, uh, it was like a um, an ad blocker for all the, all the crappy it's, clients that yes, you could have potentially got it. my identity led to me finding my ideal clients. Wow. Awesome. So I wanted to jump into something that, you know, um, like when it comes to the actual work that you've done, what's one campaign or one project that you executed where you've been particularly proud of uh, in the past? you know, few years. Oh, I did. Uh, so my talk in the place in Boston was about the project. I got my client a hundred percent conversion rate, which is unheard of. I had spent years saying on discovery calls that there's no such thing as hundred percent conversion rate, right? Well, majority of our audience or users or subscribers just will not do what we want them to do. And then I go and prove myself wrong. And so, yeah. um, that was a project that I was super, super proud of. And surprisingly, that, that result didn't happen overnight. Like, I always do a three-month conversion check-in with my client. And so when I checked in with them, okay, so a premise of the, of, of the project first, they were a B2B project management app. And mm-hmm. they had released a new version, um, which, you know, they had done a campaign of like migrating people over to, but the support for the old version was ending in a few months. And they, when they checked their stats, they realized that in the past three months, 66,000 people had created projects on their old version. And these were paying customers, right? Some of them were paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to this company, um, to this uh, SaaS company. And they were like, okay, some of these are our oldest customers. We don't want to lose them, but we understand that we will lose some of them but we wanted to work best to like migrate over as many of them as we can. And they had me on a, like I've been working with them for like two years at this point. I was on a retainer with them. They came to me, we worked on a strategy, we uh, executed it, sent out our emails. Uh, and then three months later, when I checked in with them, they said, oh, the numbers of projects created in the three months since our emails had gone live had come down to 26,000. And so the client and I were like super happy about that. 
right? Because we sat and I got this side off to get a case study done on them. And then I got busy and the case study got delayed by six months, right? Yeah. When my, my case study writer finally interviewed my client, they came back to me saying, Summer, they, your client doesn't remember the 66,000 number or the 26,000 number, but they have another interesting number um, that they reported on. Uh, and they said they didn't lose a single paid customer. Everybody migrated over to the new version. Every single paying customer migrated over to the um, And it was just, that was like something that I'm super proud of still because the strategy was a thing of beauty. Um, and the best part was it wasn't once and done. When I had wrapped up the project with them, I told them, listen, there's still a couple of months left until the deadline. Read out this emails, redo the strategy as it is, and even more people will migrate over. So um, the emails were great. The strategy was brilliant. And uh, most importantly, my, my client executed the project or the emails exactly how I wanted them to. And so it, it was this perfect storm of everything being done right that led to the 100% completion rate. Amazing. Amazing. So you mentioned one thing that I noticed. You have a copywriter yourself. How does that yes. play out? So you moved from just being a solo copywriter now. How big's your team? What it, what what what's that looking like? Okay, so I am still very much a company of one, right? Mm -hmm. But whereas I was growing my business, uh, December twenty twenty, I've had my first six figure year, and I burned mm -hmm. out. Um, and I was working twelve to fourteen hours doing like hustling, like I've never hustled before. I was at the, the like. I was booked six months in advance and December, 2020, um, my dad fell sick, right? Mm. And I lived a five minute walk away from my parents' place at that point because we moved, in, moved back to Pakistan. And so nobody calls me. My siblings, my parents assume I'm busy and I was, and they just didn't call. And you, you know, Pakistani families, right? My mom and I, if we don't talk once a day, uh, it feels off, right? And so 24 hours go by, nobody has called me. I'm thinking like, Ami should have called by now, right? And so I call her, find out it's because they've been busy with dad's health. And I just felt so much guilt that I was the closest person to them. Like, um, and I couldn't be there. And so I was at a point where like, that really shook me. And I was like, you know what? I don't care if I don't make six figures next year. I am going to be very happy with like have making half their money as long as I slow down. There's like, that was my wake up clothes per se, where I was like, I want to slow down. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with a business coach that allowed me to, or worked with me and helped me to slow down, but also like kept raising my rates. Right. And because like I was working 12 to 14 hours, I was also starting to get burned out. And when, when my father's health thing happened, I was at a stage where like, I want to burn my business to ground. This isn't worth it. Um, but then, the and, and you know how most business coaches will ask you like, well, what do you love about your job? And I was at a point where I was like, nothing. I hate everything. I don't want to do this anymore. And so she asked me a question that became a turning in how my business is structured right now. She said, okay, tell me everything you hate about right? Outline a typical or your ideal email project to me and then tell me which parts of it do you pay. And so 
Disco recalls. I'm okay with them now. I enjoy them. That's why the sales process, I'm okay with it. Customer research, hate it. Never want to do it. Um, the email. And so we started like pulling out every single thing that I needed. And in the end, the only thing that was left was the email strategy. And I was like, this, I want to keep cards on. And so she was like, all right, then now you have two things. You can either hire people and become an mm -hmm. agency, or you could find partners who will be responsible for their part of the work. We'll be client facing if you need, if you don't want to run point contact with them. And I like the second part. I was like, I would much rather partner with people who are already experts in their field, who already have a name for themselves, who will charge whatever their charge is, and I'll bake it into my project, right? And then we'll take it, right? Mm. But what that meant was I tripled my rates. Wow. Um, I went from charging 6500 for an onboarding email sequence where I was doing everything to $18,000 for an onboarding sequence uh, where I was only doing the email strategy, right? And wow. I'm not kidding. I got laughed out of groups uh, when I would quote that amount, right? Because people came to me and they... The, the, and I don't know if it, the audacity of somebody like me coding those rates um, probably had something to do with um, the fact that there would be shocked silence on those calls. And I could say that, hey, this is how much it's going to charge. Yeah. But the first company to say yes to those rates was HubSpot. Wow. And we did that project and it was a six month, uh, it was, a, I think, a four month project. And I worked on it for maybe 25 hours mm -hmm. because I partnered with an incredible customer researcher who, who took the lead for the first four to six weeks that we were doing customer research. She did the analysis. She sent me the analysis. I went through it, came up with my strategic recommendations, which was the part that I really loved, uh, presented it to HubSpot's team. They told us which of my recommendations they could implement, went back to the board created an email plan, did an email by email breakdown, got it approved by them, and then sent it to a subcontractor. And because I also teach a course in email marketing for both SaaS and e-commerce, I know exactly which person would be right for the job. I've already mm. trained people, and I know that if I want to hire or subcontracted it to out, I know which one of, I know, like, I can, I might pick of people I've trained that know how I approach email marketing, that know how I run a project. Uh, and so they know how to present emails to me in a Google Doc. I don't have to teach them anything. They already know how I run an email project. They, they have all the templates and everything. And so I spent maybe four hours editing those 18 or 20 emails that needed to be written for HubSpot. My subcontractor sent in, did an excellent job. I spent four hours editing them, copy chiefing them, making sure they were up to my standard, sent them across, got them approved, and the project. Um, and so it you're was like a lead gen funnel. So you like lead gen funnel that um, essentially over time, it yes. wasn't in the beginning. And then you, you, you just, you're basically the quarterback, right? I don't know if you watch football, but you're like yeah. a quarterback. Making I don't, sure that but I know that terminology. Yeah. So everyone's in the right positions, getting the work done, but you're working with specialists <laughs> essentially. So that's like, yes. Something that I'm noticing is a common trend. You can't just hire a friend from Starbucks or McDonald's yep. or something and, and be like, hey, I'll teach you That's everything. It's more hard. Yeah, that it, that burned me too at my uh, 
you know, I think every business learns that early on. Okay, yeah, let's go hire cheap talent. Um, yeah, and we'll teach them. But teaching has its own costs, and a lot yes, of those costs the customer enters. Yeah, there's a time commitment. Yeah. There's the the you know, let's say if they mess up, it makes your reputation look bad. There's a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's better to just partner and package in pricing yes. versus trying to do everything yourself. Yeah. So copy, I subcontract out. That's not mm -hmm. fine facing, uh, but uh, the research is always fine facing. Like that's a true partnership. The subcontracting, mm -hmm. uh, the copywriting is subcontracted out. But it also like, I've slowed down enough down where I'm like, when I take on an email project, I'm at a point where like, I want to do the copywriting for this because mm -hmm. I enjoy it and like I've slowed down enough to not feel rushed. Perfect. Well, I have one last question, right? Um, yep. Now, being a Muslim, being a woman, and all the stuff that we just talked about, what is some tips or a tip that you would give a potential entrepreneur looking to freelance slash start their own agency similar to yourself? And also, I'd like to add on, what's one thing that you wish you didn't do as well okay so uh the one thing i feel like uh most of what should be doing is putting a, an amount or their fee and then like zipping it for a while like the ball is in your clients or leads for it you don't have to fill in the silence let them react don't project what their reaction is going to be mm. uh and then you can always negotiate on scope. I never negotiate on price. I always negotiate on scope. So if you can't afford uh, the current price, that's cool. Um, here is a reduced price with a reduced scope. Does that see? Does that sound better? Right? Or I always say, like anybody, uh, if you know, if you pay in full, you got ten percent off right now. And what that does is, I used to do that, but now though, I just send the invoice for the entire thing and nobody questions anything. Uh, we just assume that people are going to block. They're not. And, yeah. and I discovered it by accident where I probably wasn't paying that much attention, sent across an invoice for the entire amount and it got paid with no mm -hmm. questions asked. And I was like, you know what? If it can happen once, it's going to happen again. Um, and that became a business thing. Well, yeah, so we need to stop projecting uh, <laughs> that we're going to face bias, that we are going to be, that our authorities will be questioned. All of that is bound to happen at some point, but mm -hmm. don't assume it's going to happen before it right? I think uh, it's a Dancy thing, to be honest. Like, you know, right? like uh, you when they when you get negotiated, you, everyone negotiates so much in Pakistan or in Muslim countries in general. That the person I think is ingrained, but they don't realize that times have changed. And also people, yes. okay, co consumers, right? People who buy stuff need to understand that cheaper isn't always better. You have to realize that, you know, red martin log, you know, like people like, well, yes. well, de-escalate de your project for another one that pays more. Exactly. So then when you, when they come back with garbage for you. It's not because they don't like you. You just didn't pay them as much as the other project person. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really good advice. Honestly, I used to make that mistake. I would 
I'd be like, oh, they're deliberating. But I'm like, no, no, no. Why didn't you just say yes right away? So then I'm like, no, you know what? I'll, I'll go down a little bit. That's the biggest L that I took. I, I totally agree with yeah. you. Just shut up. Just let them I, I'm like, decide. Even when I was la like, nobody out la outright laughed at my face when I started putting 18,000 for an onboarding project. Of course, people are too professional to do that, right? But the shock reaction. But if you know that your work is worth it, um, you can hold out yeah. for, um, and then do your research on any business that's reaching out to you. Uh, and this is something that I learned from another freelancer who quoted below his usual price only to later find out that, that the company that had reached out to him was a billion dollar corporation, uh, and um. he just didn't do his research. Uh, and so just always go to Crunchbase, go any, like wherever, if it's a software company, find out how much funding they have, uh, yeah. how many employees they have, all of that. Um, everything's available on the internet these days. Do your research. And what it also does is when you do specialized work like I do, um, you also realize how much importance a company is putting on the work that they're asking you to do. So, um, with a, a software company that has just raised uh, a series C funding is blocking at my rates. I know that this isn't a priority to them right now. Yeah. Uh, because if they were really feeling the pain, they would be willing to invest what I'm putting and so much more because the pain of like not having a, an, an onboarding sequence or an email uh, or attention focused email where you're bleeding users is too intense. And people are companies at that point are just willing to give you any amount of money as long as you will solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then what's one thing that you would avoid that you wish you never did? Overwork myself and burn out. I should mm -hmm. have learned my lesson. Um, and it's something that I have to watch out for uh, even now. Because when I get excited by a project or I have an idea that I want to execute, I, tend, I have a very a single-minded focus and everything just kind of fades into the background. So I wish that I wasn't prone to doing that, but I now have checks and balances in place uh, where I have people who can pull me back. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Summer, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think I learned a lot just by listening to you, and I am sure that other people will learn a lot as well, uh, especially on that. That hit me hard, that last statement before. Uh, don't overwork yourself, but right before that, the contract. I, I took so many yeah. L's. I underpriced myself uh, so many times, and then it made me want to quit what I was doing. Uh, yeah. But that was super, super helpful advice. Yeah. Um, how can people find out about you or get in touch with you? Well, uh, Twitter is the place I hang out most. Um, but com is where I pick email fights. Uh, if you want to learn about email, if you want to learn about me, emailstudentright.com or my, uh, I do want to call my name up brand, but summerwise.com is where companies go to book projects with me. Uh, emailstudentright.com is where people go to sign up for, uh, to receive my newsletter. Amazing. Amazing. And then your course. You got to tell people about the course. So, okay. So I have a, an email course about email strategy for SaaS emails and e-commerce emails. And it is probably, it, it's run once a year. It's a life cohort. It's a three months training and it is intense. When you walk away 
uh, a bona fide strategist. Uh, and email marketers make good money. Yes, they would make good money. Yeah. Um, multiple six figures, let's just say that. Get on my email list, sign up for the emails to write newsletter because oftentimes that is the only place that I am telling or announcing that the new cohort is going live and it gets built out fast. Um, but yeah, so the courses are there. And this year I haven't run a cohort because I was holding out. And next year I plan on running both. So if email marketing is something that interests you, then yes, please sign up. Awesome. Amazing. Well, Summer, thank you so much for hopping on. I'll give you back uh, your time today. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be following your journey and seeing where else you're going to be speaking at because I know that uh, these events don't, they're constantly, constantly uh, evolving, getting bigger and larger. So maybe on the next Absolutely. call, we could talk about AI. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have so many I ideas. See, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had fun. All right. It's all good.